If you're rich, faith compels you not to waste your money. If you're poor, faith compels you not to waste your life. Sing his praise. 
Good morning, my name is Julie, one of the pastors here, and I'm going to open us in prayer. First, I want to start with reading a scripture in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God, we thank you for the marvelous light that you have invited us into. We thank you that we get to see it in the physical. In Hawaii, it's so beautiful here. The light changes day to day. It's like this physical reminder. And we know that your light is all around us and in us, God. Would you remind us of that today? And Lord, we thank you for your mercy, because boy, do we need it. We thank you that you are pouring it out every day, every time we need it. And I'd just like to pray a side note, Lord, that you would uh, bring us into the meeting space that you have for us. Um, we're, we're wanting so badly to gather together again as a community and worship you and see one another. So we just ask God that you, we know that you're moving and we ask that you would help us to find that place and that it would be soon, Lord. And I just bless each one watching right now with your presence that you'd move in and settle over. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us again on our online Blue Water service. It's great to have you. We're going to continue our worship with our tithes and our offerings. And I love that we call it worship because true worship always involves a sacrifice. And this is one of the ways that we like to practically keep our hearts in a posture of worship towards the Lord. So as you know, you can give online, you can text to give, or you can send a check in the mail to the church office. Sunday Fun Day is going on strong. This week we're going to be at Sandy Beach Field from 2 to 4 p.m. We're going to have kite flying again, and we're going to have our lawn games, and we're going to have our legendary cornhole tournament, which, yeah, last time it was pretty, pretty fiery. And we don't fool around with the prizes, so choose your partner wisely, come on down, and I uh, hope to see you there. And now we're going to uh, move on to uh, Jordan is preaching today, and I'm excited to hear what he has to say after last week's sermon on what does faith get you when you're rich, because today we're going to hear about what does faith get you when you're poor. We're in the middle of a sermon series called What Does Faith Get You? What does faith get you when you're in a given situation? Uh, and the reason we are doing this sermon series is because I think in society today, we're not being given good models of healthy behavior. Um, we don't have good templates. Uh, and so what we're doing is we're trying to generate some templates. What does faith compel you to do um, in situation X? What does faith empower you to do when you feel weak? What does faith empower you to do when you feel strong? What does faith empower you to do when you feel lonely? What does faith empower you to do uh, when you feel challenged? What does it 
compel you to do when you have more good opportunities uh, than you can choose. And last week we talked about how if you're rich, if you have plenty of money, then faith compels you to not waste your money, uh, but rather to use it creatively in the world for eternal good. And this week, we're going to discuss how if you're poor, if you are financially struggling, that faith compels you to not waste yourself. Uh, don't let financial struggle tempt you to waste your life. Uh, Jesus talks a ton about money matters in the gospel. As anyone who reads the gospels know, we talk about this a lot at, at Blue Water. Jesus heavily stressed the need for us to care for the poor, to care for people who are materially disadvantaged through the value of generosity and sharing, for instance. He did speak uh, a lot against oppression of the poor, unfair treatment of those who are materially disadvantaged, as the Bible speaks uh, a lot uh, to the same thing. Though in his day, Jesus was never uh, critical of the obvious oppressors in his society, which were the Romans in his day. That probably had to do with his unwillingness to be judgmental or to be pharisaical about things. So he modeled generosity to the poor. Uh, he talked a lot about what you might call social justice values, uh, but, he, but he never pointed the finger. All to say that the Gospels uh, have a lot to say about how to treat the poor. But what if you are the poor? Uh, what does faith get you in that situation? What does faith lead you to do uh, when you are struggling financially? Uh, happily, uh, Jesus shares a lot of encouragements to the poor, and some of them are even about their poverty. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus uh, begins it rather famously by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the, in the Luke version of that stock teaching of Jesus, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Even simpler, uh, the latter one speaks directly to the material condition of poverty among people, and the other to more the internal condition that poverty causes, the poverty of spirit, right? Uh, the internal sense of need and dissatisfaction that Jesus, at least, uh, saw as a blessing, at least sometimes. Which is a very encouraging thing as far as it goes. I don't know if he'd want to say that it's always good for us to be very poor. That's a complicated thing. That might be a bridge too far. But Jesus clearly thought that poverty does bring some advantages to people which is just mind-blowing when you think about it. And over the 2,000 years of Christian history that we've had so far, uh, religious orders uh, have often made the most of this, you know, and uh, priests and missionaries and monks and nuns will take uh, vows of poverty, right, in order to make the most of the spiritual advantages that come with not having a lot of material uh, goods. Um, sure. Uh, in any case, let's say that you're poor. Um, and let's say you have great faith. 
how should you use it? Great question. And let's just jump right in to the practical tips today. Uh, how should you behave in faith when you are struggling financially? Okay, and I'll talk about three or four of them. And I think most of them will be familiar to Blue Water people. Uh, number one, if you're struggling financially and you have faith, do behave with faith, which is to say, uh, behave with faith and not fear. Uh, we Christians are not allowed to worry about money ever. You know, we're just not. That's the command of Christ, period. Uh, there are no compromises with that. Uh, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, he says. They neither sow nor reap nor store in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus says all these reassuring things, promising that the Lord will provide for his children, period, full stop, maybe exclamation point. We're just not allowed to worry when things look financially uncertain. Just gospel 101. As we talked about a little last week, Jesus requires that his followers be money free, right? So if you have a lot of money, you're free from it. If you have a little money, you're free from that because it's the Lord's job to provide as he provides for the birds. You know, they don't pack a lunch and yet they always seem to find food. So choose faith and not fear. And, and I think that's probably a rehearsal teaching. Probably people around Blue Water know that. We're not supposed to worry about money. Everybody say amen. Amen. Number two, uh, if you're financially struggling, then you have some need. You have some necessity. And necessity is the mother of invention. So if you have faith in the midst of your necessity, invent. Invent. That's what you're supposed to do. Uh, you are supposed to respond to needs in life by being inventive and creative and flexible. And faith is something that allows you to do that really, really well, it turns out. Uh, if, if your financial situation needs to be changed, change it, right? Make a move. Uh, don't get paralyzed. Go forward with maximum use of the gifts that the Lord has given you, uh, because you have a lot of gifts, even if you don't have a lot of money. What happens to us practically is that economic trouble is often a driver of change in our lives, right? Uh, if you need a job, you will very often change your life situation in order to get one. You will maybe re-educate yourself. You will often move off island to pursue better job options. It happens all the time uh, around our church, given the challenges of making a living on our island. If there needs to be economic change, you know, you're, you're gonna change. But if you're a person of faith, you will change in faith instead of changing in fear. And that makes all the difference, right? And often the difference it makes is that it enables you to be inventive and creative and flexible instead of desperate and grabby and that's what you want to avoid. People often panic uh, in the midst of economic trouble, and then they throw away 
vital relationships or they throw away ministry opportunities as if they are less important than economic opportunities. And that's trouble. That's spiritual and kingdom destruction right there. We don't want to go there. Jesus says, again, quite famously, seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness. And then all of these material things will be added unto you. Make sure that you always keep your priorities straight, even if you have to make changes, even if you have to be inventive and creative uh, in your life. A slightly different take on it is one of my life slogans. God always provides for you, but he gets to choose how. And that's where the creativity and the inventiveness comes in. Um, I like to tell this story about uh, when Sony and I were moving back from the island. Uh, she was born and raised here. I was here for portions of my childhood, but we had been living on the mainland uh, for um, a straight 20 years. Um, from college onward, and uh, we were actually in a, in, a, in a time of great economic struggle. Our bank account was you know, pretty much empty. I was unemployed. Sonia was pregnant uh, with Jojo, our first at the time. We had a house and mortgage that we could not pay. It was that sort of situation. There was a lot of, of, of pressure. And then one day when I was working on this house, I was trying to rehab this old house and thinking, well, you know, maybe we could sell it. And the phone rang. And it was one of those really stark prophetic moments of my life. The Lord said to me, plain as day, oh, that's Dan Chun. He's a pastor on the island and happens to be uh, my brother-in-law. He's calling to offer you a job out of the blue to go work for his church for a while. And I was really out of the blue. I mean, there was zero reason for me to expect this. I don't think Dan Chun had ever called me once in my life. Uh, but I just knew it. And I picked up the phone and I said, hello. And sure enough, it was Dan. He said, hey, this might sound crazy, but I don't know, some of us on staff, I'd done a conference around here and a lot of people had gotten healed. They were interested. They think we want you to bring that to the island and we'd be willing to give you a job uh, for you to do it. Just interesting and great offer out of the blue. So of course, with that prophetic prompting, I said, yes, here was the problem. I would get a little salary if we managed to show up, me and my pregnant wife and all our belongings. But I had no way to get to Hawaii because I had zero dollars in the bank account. You know, so how are we going to make the, the, the struggle, the trip? And I didn't know, but I said yes, and we started behaving as if we were going to go. This is how I got money for the trip. I had gone to a CD release party of a friend who was releasing an album that Sony and I had worked on. And while we were in the parking lot of the New Jersey diner after the party, a 92-year-old Greek man in the parking lot mistook his accelerator for his brake and slammed into the side of our car. Um, I have a scar on my forehead from it because as I saw the car coming, I dove into the back hatch and uh, curled up around my dog who was there in order to protect him, Rocky. And uh, Rocky was safe. He emerged unscathed. I had blood on my face, but it was a badge of honor. Anyway, uh, the insurance company totaled the car and gave us a check for $9,000, and that's how I came to Hawaii originally. Now, in retrospect, that was provision. And when we got here, uh, somebody gave us a car. Um, the Lord provides, but would you write that script, right? I had to be a little flexible to embrace that plan, right? A little inventive, a little creative. 
And, and that's just a stark example of how the Lord has very, very often worked in my life and in the life of, of my family. You know, faith empowers you to be creative and to be flexible and to embrace creative and, and uh, inventive solutions uh, to navigating materially in life. There is a creative solution to your financial situation. I promise you, and more than that, Jesus promises you, there is a creative solution to your financial situation. Hopefully it does not involve a traffic accident, uh, but it will be there. Part of it may involve you becoming a more inventive person. Part of it may involve you being a more flexible person. Uh, part of it might involve you being a renewed person or an improved person, right? Uh, if you are having financial struggle, this could be a great opportunity for great change in your life. And that's how faith talks. That's how faith talks. I just wanted to underscore it for you. Uh, and may the Lord bless you with interesting solutions uh, to financial struggles. And, and three, and this is kind of related um, when you are struggling financially, don't fixate only on money in your life. Because when things are going bad financially, you tend to think about money all the time, or at least people of the world do. People of the kingdom, of course, do not. Uh, people of faith are free from that, just to say it. Uh, you are certainly more than your financial situation. You are certainly more than your economic status. And one of the reasons I wanted to say that, uh, because I really resent worldly philosophies that say otherwise. Uh, and, and that includes like shallow capitalist philosophies uh, that honor accumulation above all else. I mean, we kind of know these are absurds, but any, anybody remember the 80s and 90s? ancient history, right? 80s and 90s. In the 80s and 90s, we had these people called yuppies. You remember yuppies? Yuppies were kind of popular for a while, a lot of TV shows about them and stuff. Yuppies stood for young, upward, upwardly mobile persons. Yuppies. Um, and the slogan of the yuppie generation was, he who dies with the most toys wins. And all these bumper stickers back of bumpers it was a very prosperous time in america until the bubble burst and then and the yuppies you didn't hear so much about yuppies anymore uh, after that but he who dies with the most toys wins really that's absurd and we recognize that as absurd uh, as christians but you know those things can seep into you anyway he who dies with the most financial security for himself or she who dies with the most financial security for herself or for her family wins. No, that's not true either. That's just a slightly cleaned up version of the same thing. Uh, so, you know, let's not do that. Don't define anyone according to economic status. And, and you know, another worldly philosophy that I object to uh, involves all of these recycled Marxist ideas that are becoming more popular in the world today. Uh, which, which say essentially that the best way to understand the world is in terms of the battle of these things called economic classes. 
and people are sign of assigned classes. And it says that the best way to understand the individual in front of you is according to their material status. That really tells you what you need to know, all you need to know really about the person in front of you. And of course that's equally absurd, that's nonsense. Uh, both those sorts of philosophies are cancerous and reductionist and, and, and just generally evil and it tempts you to see the world largely if not exclusively through economic lenses and let's just decide that we're not gonna play that game in any way, shape or form. Like whatever else we're gonna do. We're just not going to play that game. Uh, the person standing in front of you is spiritual and you are a spiritual person and people are whole entities and not economic functions. They're not accumulation and they're not lack of accumulation. They are people. They are people gifted and called by God. And let's just try to clear up our thinking where that is concerned. Number four, and this is kind of what I really wanted to major on today. Um, if you are financially struggling and you are a person of faith, then what I'd like to say to you today more than anything else is work hard, work hard, which might not sound like a very, very revolutionary uh, statement, but work hard because that's what faith makes possible. That's closely connected to the faith that you have uh, in your heart. The people who have been afflicted with poverty often start to feel hopeless about things and they will often lose their faith because of the hopelessness that comes with their poverty. And when they get hopeless and they lose faith, what happens is they stop working, right? They, they give up, they stop trying. And as every blue water person knows, faith means trying. That's the very heart of being a person of faith. And, and this sort of inability to try, this inability to work hard is a danger that comes with the experience of poverty. And in some ways, I think it might be the chief danger. It's the one that uh, I personally am, am most sensitive to and that I have struggled with most in life and during the seasons of my life in which I had to struggle uh, with material poverty. Poverty can bring a sort of depression, can't it? You know, and, and, and that depression is often more dangerous than the material poverty itself. Um, right now in the world, um, there's a lot of disruption. Perhaps you've noticed it. We're having a pandemic. And as a result of that pandemic, there's been a great variety of shutdowns, uh, a tremendous amount of economic upheaval, a swath of destruction uh, in the business world. And if you get destruction in the business world, you get destruction in the employment world. There's been destruction in agriculture and all means of production. What's going on right now is unquestionably a tremendous impoverishment of the globe. And, and I'm just surprised that this is not a bigger story in society right now. We're a very rich society and there's been a lot of government dole out and stuff. So maybe we're just not paying attention to it as we should. I think another thing that's happening is that we as a people are pretty consumed with politics and political struggle right now and, and therefore have been distracted from what I think is the earth shattering uh, shifts 
in world production and provision um, that are probably going to become way more evident pretty soon. I think economically, the world is in serious, serious trouble. But, huh, uh, to my mind, I think maybe the greater crisis right now, at least in our society, might have to do with something that you might more reasonably call work ethic or something like that. Um, uh, try to explain my thinking on it and why I'm concerned. Um, so right now uh, in America, not surprisingly, given the huge amount of shutdown that we've seen uh, in, in our country, we have like the highest unemployment rates since the Great Depression, right? Because they've been forced, right? They've been kind of manufactured by policy and stuff like that. It's not surprising uh, that there's a lot of unemployment. But simultaneously, perhaps you read about this in media, there's a huge workers crisis. There are all of these job vacancies and employers cannot find people willing to take the jobs. Have you heard about this? And that's just really interesting. And, and I think there are multiple factors involved. And I think that some of the factors are actually really good, you know, um, but some of them are also sort of uh, concerning to me. Uh, I'll talk about that uh, a little bit in a second. But I've also noticed recently that the media is talking about this thing that they're calling the great resignation. Have you been reading about this? The great resignation is that unlike any other period in American history, people are resigning from their jobs in droves. We've had more job resignations than ever before in recorded economic history. So this is really interesting. We have the highest unemployment rate since the Great Depression. We have more job vacancies uh, than seem reasonable. And we have more people resigning from their jobs than ever before. And again, I think some of this might actually be good. I'm a little excited about it in some ways because it may indicate that the societal upheavals that we have all experienced have caused people to really question their relationship with money and earning. And that could be good, right? It could be that people are realizing that their identity is not in their work or in how much money they earn. And they might take this crazy time of chaos to explore themselves personally and maybe to grow in some good ways. And, and that's all very exciting. That could be spiritually generative in, in, in a really good way. So there's that, you know, and we could pray and hope about that. But consider this phrase, the great resignation. And that word resignation can have two pretty distinct meanings. Uh, it could mean that you're resigning from your job, which could be okay. But it also might mean that you are resigning yourself to your fate, which would be very bad. Because that to me sounds like depression and maybe spiritual collapse. Um, maybe people are just getting fed up and giving up. You know, I don't, I don't know and I don't think we're getting good data about this. But I'm a little bit concerned. I've been concerned about work ethic in America for a while generally. Because I'm concerned about faith, generally, is what I mean. Uh, so let me just kind of say, partly as pastor and partly as kind of prophet uh, in these days, 
that this is a particularly bad time for people to give up on hard work. And I, I just want to help get that message out there uh, in the world. What faith gets you when you're financially struggling is the ability to work hard even when there are temptations to feel hopeless. What faith gets you when you're struggling financially is the ability to work hard even when there are temptations to feel hopeless. Often in my life, raw faith is the only thing that kept me working hard um, in, in, in trying times. Uh, hard work is usually how great things get accomplished in this life. Newsflash. Your hard work might not make you financially rich, but your hard work will always make you rich in other important ways and kingdom ways. You know, you don't have to worry about hard work making you rich anyway, because Jesus says you don't have to worry about provision, right? But you should worry about working hard for other forms of richness, you know, because faith means trying and trying means work. And great faith means trying hard and trying hard means working hard. And we just have to make the connection here as a people. Uh, we just have to make this a strong part of, of our faith culture. Don't let material struggles, don't let material disadvantages you might have rob you of your ability to work hard slash try hard slash believe hard, right? That would be so much more destructive than your material poverty itself. Faith can help keep you working hard even when there are not fat paychecks attached to it. That's just such a vital kingdom skill. That's just such a vital life skill. Uh, so uh, to Blue Water, to our church, I have, a, I, have a, I have a prophetic word for you, Blue Water, and here it is. Blue Water, please work your butt off. This is the season. Please work your butt off. Try hard. Try as hard as you have ever tried because there's a lot riding on it and because it is the call of your faith. In some ways, I think it is the heart of faith in this world. And I really think it's the heart of faith in this season. Try hard and work hard as much as you ever have. Take a really good Sabbath because hard rest is what empowers hard work, right? So let's not shortchange ourselves that way. Work your butt off. You're not going to regret it. And if you can't draw on your circumstances to work hard, draw on your faith to work hard. Don't waste your life. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work. Work is going to work. And I'd like to end today uh, in this spirit uh, just by reading uh, quickly from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 16 through 13. I left the scripture uh, till the end today. And, and what this is is... Uh, it's a passage that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, and as is typical of Paul's letters to the churches, it's just filled with practical, everyday advice uh, for living the life of faith. Uh, so here, here it comes from uh, 2 Thessalonians, Paul's advice 
the, to the people of faith. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, he doesn't use that language very often, he commands. We command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you know yourselves how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. When my ministry team were with you all of those months, those years, we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. You know, that Paul made tents on the side. That was his side hustle. And he evidently worked day and night at this menial labor in order uh, to empower his ministry. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, to financial assistance, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate a model for the people of faith. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. <laughs> it's a heck of a rule. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. Idle means lazy. Lazy and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. That's a great translation right there. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, here it is, never tire of doing what is good in all seasons, work for good. Uh, it's just, there's something about this passage I, I've always found challenging, and there's something about this passage that I've always loved because it's just so human uh, in a way that it approaches things. Uh, so just to summarize it in closing, uh, Paul and his ministries team spent a big stretch of time in Thessalonica planting a church there uh, and all the while they worked to make their living while they spread the gospel and Paul points out here in this passage that when he was with them he and his team didn't need to work hard because their provision wasn't in question Right? He implies that the, that the new believers in Thessalonica would have given them charity to live on. And he even goes so far as to say that this was their due because they were working hard in ministry and people can get paid for doing ministry. Uh, besides, Paul knows as well as any of us that Jesus always provides somehow. So he didn't need to work hard. And that's what he says. It's like we didn't do it because we didn't have the right to help. We worked hard for other reasons, he says. The hard work itself was precisely what they wanted to model to the Thessalonians because I think the relationship between faith and hard work is very close because the relationship between faith and trying is very close. And again, if you can't work hard, then you're not going to try very hard you don't try very hard, you're not going to work very hard, and either way, you're not manifesting faith. 
And so isn't it interesting that Paul went out of his way to model day and night labor as a means of teaching people about faith? Even in Adam, even in Eden, Adam and Eve had to tend the garden, right? There's always something about trying. There's always something about challenging work. There's always something about pressing ahead in a hard day's labor against the spirit of hopelessness and uncertainty and financial temptations that actually strengthens one's spirit. Ah, it's a simple teaching, you know. Let's not forget to work hard and let's not let anything stop us. There's a harvest to bring in It will be practical and material and it will be spiritual and it will be relational, but it's all centered on faith and faith is centered on trying. Trying involves work. And dear God, we pray that you would help us be this kind of people. Help us be people who are able to be hardworking humans in the midst of contending passions and temptations and material challenges. We pray, Lord, that we would be creative and flexible enough to accept provision as it comes and and creative and flexible enough to find a way to work forward no matter what is necessary. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we'd be people of faith and never people of anxiety. Let us model faith, Lord. We pray that we would be people of holy labor, people who model holy labor to the rest of the world so that people will associate the sacrifice of hard work with the faithful worship of the Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would make us kingdom people who seek first kingdom causes and kingdom righteousness and always attend to the most important thing, but who attend to all that we should, generally speaking because we're not afraid and we do not lack hope and we do not lack faith. And Lord, I just pray that you make us healthy individuals. And I pray that we could all be models of healthy people uh, to the rest of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey there, Blue Water Mission. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Sunday service. Isn't it incredible how God has a special place for us when we feel poor. He's looking to produce great things out of our efforts, out of our faith. So I pray that you'll feel encouraged this week taking Jordan's words to heart and that you're filled with hope. If you have a prayer request, maybe you'd like someone to really join with you in that hope to help you feel blessed and receive God's blessings, you can fill out the form on our website and someone will be happy to pray with you. Have an awesome day, you guys. We love you, and we're looking forward to seeing you soon.